Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today, I am talking to Alex Dow. He is the co-founder and chief innovation officer over at Mirai Security out in Vancouver, BC. How's it going today, Alex? Hey, Lance. Thanks for having me. Doing great. Excellent. It's uh, been a beautiful spring for us here. The coast is always incredible through the summer. So you guys getting a good one or is the smoke coming in? Uh, we haven't had as much smoke as the rest of the country has, but uh, it also hasn't rained in Vancouver in uh, about two months, which is meaning that uh, July and August are going to be pretty smoky. Yeah, yeah, probably, right? You're going to have the fires whipping up, but uh, the nice dry weather is also really nice uh, reprieve from, like you said, <laughs> Vancouver. Yeah. Excellent. So welcome to the show. Let's talk a little bit about entrepreneurship to start. And I want to get into what your business does. Um, so the question I always ask my guests is what are three things that every entrepreneur needs to know? Yeah, that's the million dollar question. Um, you know, so I would say like the first one is like plans are useless, but planning is everything. That's a quote from depending on who you read on the internet, Eisenhower or Churchill. Um, but anything that you plan, particularly in the first couple uh, months or years in the business, will not go to plan. But that exercise of planning and documenting what you're doing and what you're thinking uh, and being agile enough to adjust uh, is critical. Um, the next thing is, you know, if you haven't read the four hour work week, definitely do that. Mm -hmm. um, it really gives you a bit of an aha moment of, of how to really make sure you're doing uh, what you should be doing and outsourcing the rest. You know, certainly I have strengths and I have weaknesses. Don't spend a lot of time on weaknesses if, if you can avoid it. Um, and then lastly, make sure you got the risk appetite. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I always say that uh, ideas are cheap, execution is expensive. And yeah. um, being, you know, having uh, lots of dreams and ambitions and whatnot and actually materializing that are, are two totally separate books as far as I'm concerned. And you got to have uh, a little bit of guts. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, one anecdote I'll provide is uh, talking to one of my advisors after like one of our first, you know, big uh, headaches uh, in, in starting a business, you know, he says, so would you do it again? And at the time I was so burned, burned and burned out. Uh, I was like, I don't know if I would. Yeah. And yeah. he's just like, exactly. You needed to be that naive to take on these risks because if you knew what was going to happen or what could have happened, uh, you probably wouldn't have started. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? And it's so interesting. Like with my business, I started it off the corner of my desk as I had another business that I was I was growing and, and running. Um, and so this was just a little side project that then turned into a business. And had I looked at it from the perspective of, is there a business here? Do I want to start an actual business? I wouldn't have done it at the time. And I've, I've talked about this before because it's, it, it was not something that I thought would make sense or that I'd be able to really get rolling and get to cash flow positive uh, position by going, you know, starting it up as a serious business. But because it kind of grew and just, um, uh, you know, slowly evolved off on the side until it got to a certain size where it's like, okay, wait a minute, there's, there's a business in here. Uh, I, uh, I then took advantage of that opportunity, but, but had I, had I set out, I would never have done it. Yeah. It's really funny. 
Yeah. So, uh, so tell me a little bit about uh, uh, Mirai Security. What is it that you guys are doing over there? Um, you know, what product service do you offer? Who's your target market? That kind of thing. So we're a pure play cybersecurity company. Uh, we really focus on developing solutions for companies. Uh, I would say our target audience is the small, medium enterprise uh, and large enterprise space. Any any company that's really digitally enabled, meaning they're using IT on a, on a fairly regular basis, they may be developing software, uh, and all of a sudden security is now a thing for them. So that can either be driven by uh, compliance or um, a customer requirement that they mm -hmm. need to step up their game, uh, or they've been impacted by a cyber attack, which has cost them money, impacted the business, et cetera. Um, those are the... Are, 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 are two primary drivers which brings uh, customers to us. And we really focus on trying to provide like that pragmatic approach to cybersecurity that yep. um, what is, you know, just, you know, is good enough or, or a minimal viable product. And not to sit, set the bar so low, but many companies just have a lot of technology debt that in order to really step it up to what we would consider an industry grade, it is a it is a big jump. So we need to look at it pragmatically to understand like we do want to help them with some preventative capabilities, some ability to detect when something bad has happened. But all in all, the biggest bang for buck is the resiliency piece, making sure that if and when they do get breached, and it is probably a when not if, that they're going to be able to bring that business back online as soon as possible uh, and, and resume business and, and and arguably minimize the impacts to the business as well as their customers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is one of the things, like you said, it's if not, or sorry, it's when not if I think is really the, the takeaway here nowadays. I was at a, at a, a security conference. Well, not really a conference. It was more of a gathering of a bunch of different security companies and, and that was hosted by one of the primary guys here in Edmonton. And, and that's what they were talking about was just like it, it is imminent. Like the, the, uh, the attacks are getting so sophisticated. It's getting really difficult for employees to really navigate through what is actually a legit email request or a link and so on. And so then the ransomware gets in and, and everything else and the, the extortion happens. And, uh, and then speaking of which I, I, you know, I, I hear some of those from, uh, you know, news articles and that, and then also from some of the people that I know, um, you start asking questions and then all of a sudden you uncover, yeah, like the, the business down the street actually did have an attack. Um, what are the most common attacks that are occurring just so our audience knows, you know, really kind of the trends that are happening right now? So, you know, there's a myriad of, of, of attack patterns that can affect a business, but the two most common ones are going to be something called business email compromise. Uh, this is where the attacker has manipulated their way into the email system. Generally, that's going to be uh, Microsoft 365 uh, for most businesses. Um, and the attackers get in, they start reading through email to understand relationships uh, with your vendors and suppliers, and then start uh, uh sending out emails saying, Hey, we've changed bank accounts. Uh, can you, uh, update your systems to this bank account? It's a, you know, uh, obviously a, a bad guy bank account. And when money is transacted, yeah. it goes into the wrong account. Money's gone. Yeah. Um, that is a very common one. We're actually dealing with an uh, incident response, uh, as we speak, uh, with mm. a company that, uh, caught 
uh, money leaving their company to the wrong destination. Oh um, the other com- common one, you know, ransomware is is like the umbrella term. Um, you know, ransomware when it when it first hit the the scene was more nuisance. It you know it got on grandma's computer and, and locked up all her family photos and they asked for a thousand dollars. But where yeah. it's evolved to is moving well away from uh, attacking individuals because there's not that much money in it, but really targeting the business. Uh, and where it used to be sort of a spray and pray approach, just try to get any system infected and locked up. And then ideally they care about that system and they'll pay to unlock it. Now they're getting into businesses uh, and they're not doing anything right away. They're, they're, they explore and understand the business, how it works. And uh, when they're ready to attack, the first thing they do is going to uh, delete all the backups. And then they're going to go after typically your ERP, your enterprise uh, resource planning tools, like your accounting software, and lock that up. Mm. Um, and that really puts many businesses at a standstill. Um, one client we had a few years back, uh, it was you know their inventory system, who owed them money, who they owed money to, uh, payroll was all halted and it literally stopped the business in its tracks. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this is the thing, like some of those um, attacks are going to cost these businesses millions and millions of dollars and potential lost revenue, broken contracts, the trust factor as well um, to the point where like bankruptcy is not unheard of. Like this is putting businesses out of business, right? Yep. Uh, like we had an incident response uh, about a year or so ago and um, the company just wasn't in a position to pay the ransom. Uh, and, and the ransomers who, you know, operate like a business uh, uh, in, in Eastern Europe, um, typically, uh, they do the research on the business. They try to understand how that business makes money and what they're likely willing to pay. And mm-hmm. since they generally will gain access to the accounting software, they've, they've got mm-hmm. the visibility. Um, however, context is king. And, you know, in this case, the company was uh, in the middle of a a real estate transaction, had no liquidity, um, and just could not pay. And, uh, they were really concerned that they were going to have to, uh, declare bankruptcy because there wasn't an option, um, to recover, uh, the business, uh, in in an obvious fashion. Um, a good news story on that is we were able to, uh, find, uh, some backups that hadn't been destroyed and w- were able to recover the business uh, with only a few months of data loss. Uh, yeah. But that was, uh, that's what we, we, we call a lucky day. So what would you say, yeah, there must be some industry stats on this, uh, but what percentage of small, medium-sized businesses are adequately protected from cyber attacks at this point in time, do you feel? Uh, it's it's probably pretty low. Um, I yeah. know uh, uh, Canadian Center for Cybersecurity does some stats that would would be very specific to the Canadian uh, business uh, business side of things. There are definitely other industry uh, reports that go out there, but um, arguably even the large enterprises um, are not uh, immune to these. Uh, you know, Suncor uh, uh, was heavily impacted, unable to process credit cards for over a week. As you yeah. can imagine, that's a substantial uh, uh, loss of revenue. Um, but, you know, going back down to the small, medium business, you know, the, the challenge is, is that we've been growing IT sort of in a patchwork quilt uh, uh, model of just building on top of old. And, 
you know, that develops what we like to call technology debt. And that technology debt can be anything from just, you know, high hyper complexity, just that, you know, the environment is, is, uh, very, uh, very nuanced and different. So there, you can't do a consistent approach to, uh, trying to improve and, and protect. Um, but also just some of the technologies are old, it, you know, um, a file sharing system, uh, was, was found to be, uh, very vulnerable. And, uh, some attackers have been, uh, just scouring the internet for these servers that are sitting on the internet that are, are a very popular file sharing tool for small, medium business. And as soon mm. as they get in, They've got access to all the data. They'll usually download it all uh, and then they'll encrypt it and force you to pay. So I would say that most organizations are fairly vulnerable, um, at least in some part. And at the end of the day, like there's the technology piece, but it's also there's a a major people piece, Uh, like over 70 percent of attacks start with targeting your uh, your employees and trying to manipulate them into clicking something or allowing the hacker to gain access to the environment. And that's then where the hackers will then pivot uh, and and start uh, exploring what else they can get up to. Yeah, and, and like AI now, with all of the abilities to, you know, basically create avatars of like real people. So I somebody could actually do a video of me telling my, employees to, you know, root money someplace or to uh, give them access to something or whatever the case might be. And they would never know because the technology now is to that point where AI can can change their voices. So text to voice, you could have a phone conversation now and the other person just on the other end texting or typing in what they want that my voice to say basically. And, and people are so um, unaware, I think, of what the technology could be doing at this point and how sophisticated it's gotten. I don't know if they're starting to really use that much, but I'd imagine they must because uh, we're starting to see those tools just really become available to the masses and, and, uh, and for free, you know, talk about the paid ones that these guys might have access to uh, that are just that much better. It'd be, be really hard to to decipher is that real lance or not are you real lance or not yeah (laughs) um you know there's some dark features ahead like ai is is really providing some really cool benefits um and uh you know we play with it every day and and trying different use cases but certainly the bad guys and girls are going to do that too yeah Um, and you know to address that problem of the deep fakes and and you know being able to manipulate uh you know, and replicate voices strictly from, you know, sampling of recordings um, is, is really about recognizing that in order to really, you know, be able to be somewhat uh, resilient against those types of threats is your people. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we really focus on, Mariah, is that, you know, as much as we all want to think that cybersecurity is a technology problem, um, and certainly lots of the cybersecurity companies out there are willing to sell you a, a box of magic beans to help solve that problem. If you don't have the people in process side uh, squared away, it doesn't matter how much technology you buy. Uh, in fact, many yeah. companies will be technology rich and people process poor and then be scratching their head why they still get breached. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the case of, of you know, the deep fakes and, and, and other uh, uses of AI to, to manipulate uh, people is... Training people 
uh, enabling them to be your human firewall, I think is the best bang for buck any company, big or small, can do. Um, okay. So when you know a, a, a video or a call comes in from the CEO asking for a really strange ask, you having your employees instantly question that, uh, in, you know, through training uh, and awareness of how these attacks are working will trigger them to be like, that was weird. That doesn't smell right. And then, well, what's the next step is, well, let's, let's verify. Let's, let's call the CEO. Let's, let's, let's uh, make an out of band communication. So, you know, if it came in over email, then call or text. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's how you break the cybercrime business is at the end of the day, the cybercrime operates as a business. They have a workflow of how to compromise a target and if you can break their process by not responding to the email, uh, but rather calling the you know your CEO uh, over phone, you've just broken the process and you've likely killed their attack. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But training and increasing awareness uh, to to your people uh, is that is like that you know I think one of the lowest costs and highest value security uh, controls a company can implement. Yeah. Yeah. What what percentage of the businesses that you work with would you say um, are a result of them having had some sort of security breach issue uh, versus ones who are preemptively trying to prevent it? Is it uh, is it skewed fairly high in the in the shit? Something just happened to my business. You guys need to help me out here. Um, Or is that pretty minimal? No. Uh, so like I said, there, like, there's actually probably three drivers. It's the compliance piece that, you know, they're regulated, yeah. uh, the government or, uh, industry body is saying they have to do something or their customer is saying, we love your product, but we don't want to take on additional risk using it. So how do you spell security? Yeah. Uh, the second one is, is by breach. Uh, you know, they thought they were not a target. They were too small, whatever the r- rationale is. And then they got hit. Um, and once they've, uh, recovered, there's like, well, let's not let that happen again. They bring us back in for strategy and, and, and sort of a, a security journey roadmap. Uh, yeah. and then the third category is their competitor or their friend got hit and they don't want to be next. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that there, it's sort of gradient on, on, on reactive versus proactive. Yeah. Um, but from a ratio perspective, like, you know, I, I, I you know, uh, subjectively, uh, probably about 50% of the business we have is, is reactionary because of uh, uh, a pain, a pain point that has triggered yeah. the company to actually care. Yeah. I was anticipating it would be fairly high. Just, just knowing, you know, business owners were pulled in so many different directions. You know, we're just trying to focus on getting, getting our, our sales and, and the product out the door, or the service out the door and, and so on. And so it's one of those things where it's like, I know I need to deal with it, but I just can't carve out enough time to really focus on getting that done. Um, and so it's a priority, but it's not one that really surfaces until it's like, oh shit, yeah, something's happened, I, I would imagine. So yeah. No um, one wants to buy more car insurance until you yeah. need it. <laughs> yeah, that's not the truth. Yeah. So I, I'm curious about yeah, your business right now. So let's pivot into you know talking about um, your, your entrepreneurial journey, I mean. And so you've been at this business for about seven years. You were doing some independent consulting before that, I understand. And then before that, you had a decade or more um, in the uh, 
in the same space as an employee, though. So uh, tell me what motivated you to start a business as opposed to just continuing on in what I would think would be a, probably a pretty secure and upward moving uh, career trajectory in this space, because it's it's not a need that was ever diminishing or anything. Yeah, certainly. And and again, I've loved cybersecurity since 1996 when the movie Hackers came out. Uh, uh, and that really inspired me to go to school for it, really focus on it and get my first job in, in the industry. And I'm really happy I got to skip the whole help desk phase of uh, what a lot of kids have to do to uh, mm. cut their teeth. Yeah. Um, after, uh, you know, so I got to move out to Vancouver to, to uh, build out the security operations center for the Olympics. Uh, and then after that, got into consulting. So prior to that, I was really, you know, the 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 geek behind the curtains, making sure that, uh, you know, hackers stay out of government environments and banks. Um, after the Olympics, I started being pushed in front of the customer facing in, in a consulting role uh, mm. and really enjoyed that. Um, and, you know, there's a confluence of me starting to go independent. Uh, so I left my, uh, you know, full-time job to, to really focus on the consulting side and just doing it on my own. Um, as well, uh, you know, during the night, I started uh, working with a few other geeks, like-minded geeks to organize what became, you know, Vancouver's favorite cybersecurity conference, um, and a not-for-profit and a monthly pub night. You know, so like we went from zero cybersecurity community to, um, you know, something back in 2019, when the last uh, conference I ran, uh, we had over 600 people. Yeah. And cool. it was really great. But when I was doing the uh, independent consulting, so, you know, I'm finding, I'm using my network to find gigs. Um, it's feast or famine. It's, you know, sometimes yeah. there wasn't a lot of work. Sometimes there's too much work. And when I was trying to find uh, some, you know, individuals to work with me, with my client, it really was a bit of a struggle. Every independent contra uh, consultant, uh, really loved their own brand, uh, really didn't want to work uh, under other people. You know, there was a bit of, of ego in there and, you know, cybersecurity has no shortage of ego, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, leveraging the community that was, that I was helping build, I, I, I thought like, is there an opportunity to build out a cybersecurity company out of it. Um, and at the time, the the players in the cybersecurity world were, you know, the big four consultancies, uh, which were, you know, generally very expensive and out of reach for many small, medium enterprise. And then on the other side were all the cybersecurity companies that really just want to sell you software and, and hardware. And only if they have to, will will sell you consulting. Because for consulting, it's complex, it's nuanced. Um, and it that's not really where they make the money. They make their money off of selling the boxes. Mm. Uh, and that was a bit of a frustration for me because as I mentioned, and I'll, I'll keep on banging this drum is uh, cybersecurity is a people process and technology solution. Um, throwing a bunch of technology at the wall does not move the needle forward and, and arguably can move it backwards uh, in many cases. Uh, so, you know, uh, I started, you know, soliciting people within the community. You know, we had, we had a, a we started a Slack channel for the community. I was able to start interacting with people on a, a more uh, regular basis that way. And you know, I think the, that conversation started around 2015, 2016. And by 2017, I had found uh, a couple other people to you know try this out. Uh, and we went in, you know, quite naive, but with an ambition to do what we're doing, but try to scale it out. Hmm. And and so 
basically out of the community that you were fostering because of this desire to connect with other people that are, you know, sharing the same interests as you, then emerged this opportunity to find like-minded individuals who create this startup then. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, you know, yeah. in 2013, it was, I just want to talk to like-minded people, rub elbows, you know, geek out over, over a beer or two. Yeah. Um, and what it evolved was that, Hey, you know, there's actually quite a few independent uh, consultants out there and some of them are going to be lone wolves and want to be that way. But some of them did, you know, recognize some of the, the frustrations I had, you know, particularly QuickBooks, but others as well. Um, and was there a way to build out a, a company that could sort of consolidate and centralize the administrative side and really build a foundation. Uh, and, and arguably we call ourselves a collective because, you know, we attract uh, the people that have done independent consulting uh, and just know that, you know what, it isn't all it's cracked up to be and they want to be on the team. They don't want to be the biggest fish in a little pond anymore. They really want to be part of a, a something larger. And, yeah. and that's really what we started with uh, in 2017 and really materialized uh, in 2020. Now, what I'm curious about too is like, as our business has grown fairly rapidly the last few years, uh, recruitment has been one of our biggest challenges. I would imagine it must be a lot easier for you folks to be able to recruit because you've built yourselves kind of in the middle of this this community of of potential employees, right? So I don't know if that was strategically uh, something that you were looking at, but man, you must leverage the heck out of that, eh? Yes and no. Like, so when you start off with this crazy idea, um, there's a lot of naysayers that are going to uh, be like, that'll never work. Uh, and, and, and I'm not willing to take that risk of joining such a small company. That was definitely a challenge we had in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, however, as we started building more reputation on not only doing good work with our clients, but also really fostering a really solid culture of, uh, of innovation and growth mindset with our, with our people that there started to be more uh, attraction. Also working with the universities, we also were able to start building, a fervor uh, with uh, a lot of the students uh, to, to build out the team. Um, however, you know, in 2020 with the pandemic kicking off and all that, uh, there became a, a seller's market in, in cybersecurity skill set. Not that yeah. it was ever a buyer's market in cybersecurity. It's always been fairly in demand, but um, yep. competing against the Microsofts, the Amazons and the Apples that all have massive campuses in Vancouver um, we started really struggling to attract and comp like compete salary wise with the, with the U S companies and, and attract people. So we ended up uh, realizing that we had to go national uh, and we uh, over, you know, the course of three years have been hiring people from pretty much coast to coast. We had people uh, on, on both sides of the country and, and quite a few in the middle um, to, to create this, uh, uh, you know, to meet the demand of our clients, but also have like a, a very national presence. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, our business is the same way, but we actually went even beyond that. We went international um, and half of our team now is working from, from other countries and like multiple, multiple other countries. I think we represent nine different countries now. And so is there a reason why you constrained yourself to just, nation like Canada as opposed to North America or beyond that? Um, you know, it, with security, there is uh, 
Yeah. There is definitely that driver for, you know, trust. There's a big piece of yeah. trust. And while I know lots of cybersecurity companies do outsource to uh, Eastern Europe and, and India, um, I felt like that was probably uh, a, a bit of an administrative burden for us. And mm -hmm. it, it had bad optics to our clients. Like clients yep. want particularly, you know, a lot of what we do is is uncovering things that are a bit embarrassing and a bit sensitive. Uh, yeah. So having, you know, the proverbial throat to choke uh, was important for a lot of our clients. Um, and some of our clients require us to go through um, security clearances and background checks. So yep. uh, the lot easier, you know, the global local uh, workforce of Canadians uh, made a lot of sense for us. Um, it's not to say that we're opposed. And we did have a few Americans on the team as well. Um, but, you know, the complications, particularly in such a, a, a sensitive industry, uh, were a bit too high. Um, and, you know, given that we're a, a, a small local team that became, uh, national and remote quite quickly, um, we didn't have the processes to really man manage people on the other side of the world in like at time zones, six to 12 hours away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely creates a lot of complexity in that. And I can totally see how branding yourselves as, you know, Canadian only and having that ability to get those security clearances and checks. And, and that would just be so much easier with that more national workforce. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm also curious. Okay. So you guys have grown a fair bit in the seven years, um, you know, you ebb and flow with what the project load is, is like from, I think you were saying like 35 up to 50 plus people on the team, um, and continuing to grow. Like this is an industry that I don't think is at risk of slowing down. If anything, it's just the need is getting bigger and bigger. So the obstacles to, I guess, really achieving that growth, whatever that growth goal maybe is over the next, say, three years. Um, what is going to challenge you to achieve that? And then how are you going to overcome that in your mind? Well, retrospectively, like our, we had a, a exponential growth during the pandemic. Um, and, and, you know, like with all engineering firms, um, you know, we'll have ebbs and flows of big contracts. We hire up, we deliver that contract, and then we can track down. Yeah. Um, so one of the things we really learned the hard way um, was, you know, addressing that ebb and flow was that when we went from a, you know, a very small boutique company to, you know, arguably the largest cybersecurity uh, team in Western Canada, um, the lack of, of processes, uh, particularly for a fully remote company, uh, we, we started to feel a lot of those growing pains. It drove us to, you know, hire uh, an HR uh, lead uh, that, change the game, uh, both on, in terms of like really having consistency on how we hire, but also really trying to instill a, a culture. Uh, because again, going from 10 local people to 58 and in a very small period of time, there was a lot of growing pains. Yeah. Um, what I am really proud is that we have really come uh, up to that challenge in terms of putting those processes in, putting those systems in uh, that, you know, somebody on the other side of the country uh, doesn't feel all that disconnected uh, from uh, various team members in, you know, in Quebec and Ontario, uh, Alberta and, and British Columbia. Um, but yeah, the, the first round of that was a lot of uh, challenges. And, you know, the pandemic did us no favors with forcing that remoteness because uh, everyone breaks up their day into 30 minute increments. Uh, and it really, it, the monotony of that really, uh, 
wasn't a positive experience for you know our company as well as others. Uh, so really building that culture and 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 putting in tools to help work around the uh, constraints of being re remote uh, and forced remote through the pandemic, but also national that we have you know up to uh, a four hour time difference between team members. Yeah, yeah, it, you know, and this is one of the things that is talked about a fair bit by a lot of our uh, guests is around processes, systems. Um, you can't do growth without it. You can get to a certain stage, but it's really quite chaotic. Um, and until you really think about that aspect of it and then put in place the HR uh, controls and, and making sure that you're recruiting the right kind of people and, and maintaining that culture, especially remotely, is just, just so um, important in terms of achieving any kind of continued growth. Um, th this is a book that we put together, uh, not, not a massive book or anything, but it's a interesting read, the secret sauce of building a successful business. And that's from interviews from people, our first 200 guests on the show. And we have two chapters, one, uh, dedicated to HR and another one that's dedicated to the operation side of it and the systems and that, and, and a lot of the people echo exactly what you're saying, or you're echoing what's in that book. Um, now the that's something that you were sharing with me that you're going right into an all hands meeting right after this. And you're going to be talking about values in that one. And, and that's something that I'm curious as a, you know, remote workforce scattered across the country. Um, you have new people coming in who, you know, have never had that when you guys had started the business, the nucleus, the same with ours, where there was the face to face and everything else. Uh, and then we went remote after that. So that core, culture that you were trying to foster at the time, how do you guys maintain that? Uh, what's the secret there? Yeah. So again, we are still a remote co uh, company with, with team members across Canada. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, the all hands meetings are, are, are important to keep everyone abreast of all the things going on. Um, everyone sort of works within their teams or pods and it is very, you know, hyper aware of what they're doing, but not necessarily what the pod next to them are, are doing. So yeah. uh, the all hands meeting is, is, is a great tool for that. Um, we kick it off with uh, like my value shares as a co-founder uh, of the company and, and, you know, the, the gatherer of people to build what we are today. Um, we, I had some internal values of what I wanted and didn't want uh, our company to act like. Um, but uh you know, back in 2001, we, we crowdsourced across the team of, you know, what are five values that we can beat our drum to? Um, so I, I have the slide up on my screen because I'm updating it right after this call. Uh, but our, our values are integrity, care, diversity, growth mindset, and innovation. Mm. Um, and, you know, each, each month I will talk about one of those values and how we're actually applying it in the company. Uh, so, you know, to really encourage and inspire the team to align to those. Uh, we found that, you know, at the end of the day, when you define values, it allows it to be the, the North Star for everyone that if a decision is being made and, you know, care is a really important one, particularly, you know, when, you know, the highs and lows of business, making sure that the, our decisions are reflective of our values every time. Yep. Um, so when somebody's sick or... Uh, you know, leaves the company, like, how do we handle those situations is um, it separates us from, uh, from different companies. Um, yeah. 
We also really encourage, uh, you know, local teams to get together. So, you know, we use uh, Regis and WeWork uh, a lot to uh, enable localized teams to see each other. Uh, and, uh, you know, like we, we do have a, a good uh, center of excellence in Vancouver. So we do get to have some FaceTime, uh, more FaceTime in, in Vancouver. Uh, but yeah, like myself and my other partners do try to travel across the country uh, a few times a year to see our, our teams and, and have that FaceTime and, and really, you know, facilitate a little bit of team building. Uh, and uh, at the end of the day, just geeking out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's uh, creating those opportunities for the collisions to occur, right? The the collisions of people outside of just the, you know, the the work, the, you know, the work related meetings and, and actions and tasks and assignments of all that and the, the reviews of that and so on, right? It's, it's more the, the social collisions that need to occur, I think, to really foster it. And that's what we try to do too. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks a lot. I, I really appreciate you sharing everything here with us today, Alex. It's just been a pleasure meeting you and and learning from a, a high growth focused business. Um, you know, some of the things that you guys have gone through, but then also learning as well, some of the, the, the tips there in terms of the things to really be focused on from a security standpoint. I mean, we just barely brushed the surface, obviously, of where the risks lie. If somebody wanted to reach out to you and, and learn a little bit more and, and maybe, um, you know, ask for some additional advice in, in that regard, what would be the best way for them to do that? Great. Um, you know, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn. We've got a website that has a contact us form. Um, definitely encourage you know, if somebody wants to have a chat about what their business is, uh, is and, and where it can be in terms of uh, a risk uh, management perspective. Uh, you know, always happy to have those calls because, you know, yes, we're in the business of, uh, of consulting on this. But, um, you know, our small medium businesses is the economy of Canada. Yep. And when we have such, uh, you know, brazen attacks that, that impact uh, and can put businesses out of business, you know, that's, 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 that's not good for our country. Uh, so, you know, very happy to have those conversations. We do a lot of webinars uh, and uh, I, I love sharing, uh, sharing knowledge and really trying to in, uh, move the needle forward. You know, there's a lot of businesses that can't afford consulting um, and they end up just buying a bunch of technologies and tools. Uh, I try to help find, help, coach them in, in those balances, uh, just to make sure, uh, that they are actually, um, moving the needle forward and not just buying a bunch of tools that sit on the shelf. So, yeah. uh, uh, by all means, uh, uh, connecting with me on LinkedIn or reaching out to the company, uh, over the website. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks for that. And for those of you who enjoyed this episode, want to listen to some other entrepreneur journeys and listen to some experts, head over to amplifyyourbusiness.ca. That's where you're going to find our archives on the video side of things. And then obviously, if you're listening and you prefer the podcast only version, we're available on any of your major podcasting platforms. And so just search Amplify Your Business there. And over at that same link, amplifyyourbusiness.ca, you're going to be able to find a download button for the, uh, the guide to the secret sauce of building a successful business. Um, so definitely check that out as well. And until next time, everybody have a prosperous day. And once again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Alex. Thank you, Lance. Have a great day.